Local stories are stories of God's grace at work in the lives of those who are a part of Local Church St. Pete. We want to highlight his activity and celebrate his grace. Enjoy this story. So this morning we have Micah who's going to come up and share his local story with us. So come on up, Micah. Good morning. Uh, Well, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Micah, and uh, my family uh, and I have been coming here since the beginning of this very long year, uh, back in January. So I get to share my story with you. I love local stories, Um, primarily because in each story, uh, we can see the hand of God uh, at work in unique and special ways. My story for many years has not felt very unique or special. Uh, In fact, I don't think I've ever shared my testimony publicly, Uh, maybe for that reason. I pray that today uh, my testimony will be an encouragement to you. My story is not full of dramatic rescues, um, but it is built on steadfast grace. I haven't climbed back from any shocking front-page news sins, but have been shown infinite forgiveness given to a very wretched, self-righteous sinner who is and was like the Pharisees at times. So I grew up in a Christian home, um, and we attended a very solid Baptist church. I believed at a very young age that I was a sinner, and I was baptized. From there, I began doing everything that I thought I should do. I started attending prayer meetings, and I was singing in church, and obeying my parents most of the time. I even started a Bible club for all of my friends. Things were looking really good. Uh, My father was a pastor, and I deepened in my faith and in some of my own self-righteousness. I attended a Christian college, and I majored in biblical studies. I wanted to be a pastor or a missionary, and everyone knew it. But underneath it all was concealed sin, and an arrogance that, to my shame, damaged my relationships. There were significant times of spiritual growth and what I would call sanctification. However, I still tied much of my Christian life to good works and trying to be better. In my 20s, I had several moments that the gospel message was revealed to me in a deeper and more personal way. At no point would I say that I ever walked away from God But in essence and in practice, my faith was driven by what I did. If I behaved well, I felt good. If I sinned, I felt really lousy. If God felt far away, I questioned everything. And this roller coaster of a Christian life became my norm. At some point, I read a book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. In this book, I was confronted by the truth of the gospel as told in the parable of the prodigal son, or as Tim Keller calls it, the parable of the two lost sons. This gospel that I had embraced so long ago was actually alive and applicable to everyday life. By acting like both the older self-righteous son and the rebellious younger son at different points in my life, I began to understand that not only was I misunderstanding what the gospel for everyday life meant, 
but I was progressively continuing to harden my heart in my pursuit of legalistic righteousness. I repented of this vain pursuit and embraced this deepening understanding of the grace of God for all believers. Over the course of the next 10 years, God continued this work that he had begun at the age of eight and helped me prepare for something that no one ever expects or wants, the destruction of my marriage. For some people, divorce is the ultimate black mark on a Christian's life. There's a ton of shame and guilt that's associated with divorce, no matter how biblical it may be or how neat and clean it may feel. After going through what Scripture would label a biblical reason for divorce, God continued to show me how to rely on Him and what the gospel means in the very real and difficult everyday life. He comforted me and encouraged me through significant times of darkness. He preserved my children and is still doing a work in their lives even now. Most importantly and amazingly, he led me to my wife, Navir, who loves the Lord and helps me to look to him each and every day. Tim Keller in his book writes, Remorse and regret is just part of the salvation project. Pharisaical repentance doesn't go deep enough to get to the real problem. The elder brother's problem is his self-righteousness, the way he uses his moral record to put God and others in his debt to control them and get them to do what he wants. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. Our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There, Jesus was stripped of his robe and his dignity so that we could be clothed with a dignity and a standing that we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There, Jesus drank the, the cup of eternal justice so that we might have a cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true older brother. As you and I long for our true home, perhaps you, like me, realize the burden of this world. There's always going to be some kind of searing loss, an unmet expectation, a frustration that for us mere mortals can throw us off for days or weeks. In Romans 5, Paul talks about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. There is a very real sense of the now and not yet that you and I must deal with. But like the rest of Romans 5 tells us, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is the gospel message to our searching hearts, to our younger brother rebellious hearts, and to our older brother, self-righteous hearts. So that's my story up to this point. It's not very flashy or fancy, I told you that, but it's full of points of grace, a God who never lets go, and a Savior who died for the 8-year-old me and the now 42-year-old me, and will continue to hold me until I meet him face to face. I leave you with this message of hope, 
from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of hope and peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Thank you. Thank you, Micah. We want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Micah and his very special story. This story of, uh, Lord, your grace at work in his life. And that he would share these things with us, humbly opening up his life to us. And really pointing to your greatness and the beauty of, God, your intervening grace and your sustaining grace. God, thank you that the gospel has come alive to him, uh, Lord, even... There was a child, him understanding the truth of your word, uh, but getting caught up in self-righteousness and trying to earn and position himself before you and others. Well, thank you that you have stripped that away and that your Lord, you've just so graciously shown him the power of the gospel, not just for entrance into uh, a relationship with you, but something to look to and lean on throughout his walk with you. God, I thank, we thank you, Lord, for Micah. We thank you for Navir. We thank you for their family. And we thank you for bringing them to the local church. And we thank you for the way he has highlighted his grace and how it, it really reminds us that, yes, you are at work in his life and in ours the same. And so help us, Lord, to see it. In Jesus' name, amen.